0: Well, you're always going to be all right to an extent. But <laughs> I, mean, just, just, I think that's a general life rule. Um, things could always be worse. You still live in the best time to be alive in human history. And so a little perspective is always in order for no matter what is going on in your life. Um, and th- that's the important thing to remember, that you still control your destiny uh, more so than anybody else does. It doesn't mean they can't screw over your company that you work for. And I do worry about that, I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, but in the end, you still control your own destiny and you, you've gotta think in those terms because uh, otherwise you're just gonna be mad and helpless and and that's that, that doesn't help you or your family.
1: Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oilfield 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oilfield 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Lockton Global Energy & Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit lockedin.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit RangeValuationServices.com.
2: Welcome to the Fletcher Azul podcast studio where we are hosting the first podcast of 2021 uh, on behalf of the Oilfield 360 podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I'm one of the co-hosts and I am joined today by a special guest host, our co-host extraordinaire Mr. David DeRoad is not here today, uh, but we have an old friend and friend of the program, Mr. John Daniel. John, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Josh.
3: Good to be here. It's been a while, but uh, glad to be back. So I can already tell you're not going to match my energy on that one. That is, that's I'm gonna, three yeah, I'm espressos. Gonna, I, my energy will grow as I have another Coke. So yes, give me a second. Yes, I am three espressos
2: deep, mid-afternoon, ready for 21. It's amazing. So real quick on our, our buddy, David, he is so mad he's not here right now. I don't blame him. Yeah, this is, he loves being here. So, David, I know you're going to listen to this, and uh, we're sorry that you're not here with us, but we've got a great guest. John's going to do what he can to fill your shoes today. John, you have a lot going on in your world right now, too, don't you? We are very busy at Daniel Energy Partners. So, Daniel Energy Partners is about nine months
3: old? Nine months old, that's correct. You started your business when it was minus $20 a barrel, I believe, or somewhere in that range. About a week before that. A week before. (laughs) Obviously, I'm not a good analyst. I didn't predict that, uh, but I started a research business about a week before. Yeah. And so we've been—we're having a lot of fun. Yes, uh, and we're growing. We now have four employees, including myself. So uh, we're cash flow positive, which is good. I think we're I'm the fastest growing energy company in the world. So Early. that's exciting. Yes, yes. infinite growth percentage. Five percent. Well, it doesn't matter. Yes, yeah, that's—we're growing, and we are we are going to—we're going to be successful.
2: Well, you are. Let me give you a quick plug here. You have a uh, your
3: first um, large event coming up in the end of February. Correct. That's right. Yes. So we have a, a conference. At, it'll be at Minute Maid Park. We've titled it the Thrive Energy Conference. It's uh, two days of industry panels. And uh, right now we, we launched the registration last week. We've got about 170 that have formally registered. We've got about 270 on LinkedIn that have accepted the invitation. Yeah. They actually have to fill out the registration. So we're looking at probably 400 or so already. within. But it's just a of pretty little- niche event yeah, anyway it, it's no, an investors
2: it, conference really
3: it, it, there'll be some investors that'll be there but really it's for the industry and, and what we're doing is uh you know, there's a lot of talk and we'll, we'll probably get into this day in our discussion but on esg and there's a lot of cool uh, equipment that's being designed coming to market that will help drive the electrification okay. of the oil field and we're gonna have a lot of that equipment on display And it's not just electrification but we'll have other things such as panels on uh, water recycling, water reuse, okay. uh, battery technology. Some of the stuff is above my pay grade, but there's smart people that that's their job, and we're going to talk to them about it.
2: Well, speaking of smart people, once again, I am just lucky to be in the room here. Uh, you ought to invite our guest to your pod or to your uh, energy conference as well when we get some time. I have a I have a pitch
3: for him. Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we are starting twenty one off. Um, just with a bang. This is, uh, I, seriously, it's, it's an unbelievable honor to have our next guest. Uh, we get to say a returning guest, friend of the program, Congressman Dan Crenshaw.
0: Welcome, Mr. Crenshaw, how are you, sir? Doing well, thanks for having me back. Welcome to 2021. It's not a good year so far. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just let's just cut to the chase. Okay. Like, I think I think there was a, the funniest meme I saw in 21 was okay. We had our seven day trial of 2021. We'd like 2020 back, please. Yes. <laughs> I'd like as to it, return it. Yeah, it's not going. Well. You know, isn't
2: that amazing? Where <laughs> yeah. what are we? Today's the uh, 18th of the month. So these are a little bit dated. So whenever you're listening to this, we're just under three weeks into 2021. I mean, who could have predicted? the craziness that is, and and we're in Houston, Texas right now. For those listening, we're in all 50 States, hundred countries. So there's a lot, pretty broad audience. Um, So we are protected somewhat being from Texas and especially Houston. What is going on in Washington? Have you been up there? Um, What's going on?
0: Well, I know that's a very loaded question. I apologize for that. Yeah. I mean, I I knew January 6th was going to be really, really bad. Um, You know, I didn't think it was going to be that bad. But I knew it was going to be really bad uh, just as far as politics and divisiveness and, um, you know, telling millions and millions of people that their problems were going to get solved on January 6th. And that was a lie. That was a total lie. Always was a lie. Um, if you listen to my podcast, I've, I've gone into a lot of detail on why that was a lie and why you never should have believed it. And, you know, maybe I, I wish I'd done that podcast earlier, but it... Uh, but, you know, I was, I was involved, so involved in the internal debate on that, that uh, that jumping into the external debate was, was, I felt a bad idea at the time, but it was forced to after the events on January 6th. So, yeah, it's just, it was not a good way to, to start things off. Um, We can go into more detail on that if you'd like, but, uh, but, you know, I, I I think, again, I would point people to my own podcast on that. And now there's an inauguration coming uh, and uh, not many people will be at the, you know, I I think there'll be more national guardsmen at the inauguration than actual people. Uh, You know, I'm going to miss it just because I would have had to have left yesterday for Washington to, uh, or I guess today, I guess this morning I would have had to leave just to get my COVID test and just to go, you know, it's just don't have time. I'd I'd rather be in the district doing this stuff.
2: You know, listen, I, uh, first of all, let's don't move back. What is the name of your podcast for those?
0: Uh, if you just search Dan Crenshaw, but it's called Hold These Truths. Hold These Truths. Yeah.
2: Yeah, We really, uh, we like to be the dominant podcast in the room, but we will occasionally, (laughs) you know, wait, real quick. This is another self-serving question before we get into this. So there is a picture of you and I uh, on my Instagram page and I got a bunch of comments that said, we look like brothers tens and tens of people said this <laughs> and plus or minus tens. So uh, I'm assuming that you often get asked are you and Josh Lowry brothers of some sorts, correct? Uh, sure. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to make sure. So it was a, uh, I was going to go as you as Halloween, but then one of my buddies, uh, his son, went as you as Halloween. So <laughs> it was a kind of a pretty fun little. You got a, you got a bunch of fans in the district here. You've done one of the top five questions about you on Google, and I'm serious: is which political party is Dan Crenshaw? Does that huh. surprise you?
0: A little bit. It kind of a, does. Yeah, quite a bit. I, it, that's good. Listen, that that, that is a good. Qu- I'm glad that exists for a lot of the people who don't consume politics all the time. I mean, I am sort of in a position where, like, the real far right is like you're just because you can never be good enough for the far right. Like, you really or can't. the far left, right? I mean, yeah. Well, but but I think the I think on the right is when it comes to politics. Look, the right is 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 constantly searching for traitors in their midst. So if you don't say something the way they want to hear it, they think you're a traitor. This is always true. Um, that happens. A little bit on the left. I mean, you know, AOC is prime is helping primary her colleagues. I mean, so it does happen there, but it's just not. It's different. Uh, you, you could spend hours on the psychology of politics and political parties and and trying to just figure out how people think about this stuff. But I mean, no, no Democrat, no like pri- no primary voting Democrat. Would ever assume that I'm nothing but like a far right winger, right? That's how they would describe me. I mean, my colleagues from Harvard have have started a a a letter to revoke my degree because I'm so, you know, right wing, right? So so it's uh, but it is so it's so interesting to hear that like some people might be like, wait, which political party is he? Do you get your tuition back if they revoke the degree? A, uh, well. The, well, so I mean, I paid for that tuition via my my um g i bill, so but that's an interesting question. They really you should uh, you should I don't think Harvard will it's just it's yeah. just it just goes to show the divisiveness of our times right. and I was like, I was against the objections on January six, and you're still mad at me, you know, and it's like because it's that's how crazy things are how
3: does it how does this all settle down? I mean, do you have a i mean, I know there's not one solution, but at some point it does have to come normalize.
0: It could easily settle down if, if Biden takes a hard stand and says, we're not going to do any policies that actually that would that that affect your life or take away your freedoms. That would be a really good way to um, to to just solve everything. The, the problem is, is they, they appear to be want to do the exact opposite. <laughs> um, you know, if you leave if you leave the Second Amendment alone, if you work with republicans on the first amendment and tech censorship and there are think good bipartisan things that we could do on that um if you if you kind of if you if you don't infringe on our health care and with your with uh with government-run programs uh if you generally leave americans alone we'll tend to be happier <laughs> i think but um but that has but that would if, if if you don't screw over our energy industry in texas um then I think we'd all be pretty happy and maybe come together with all that unity. But the, but the problem is, is it's completely the opposite. So we shall see. <laughs> right, it uh, takes leadership. Right, and it doesn't help when you talk about unity, 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 right. but we've got to purge conservatives out of platforms, we've got to purge, we've got to make lists of conservatives who ever supported Trump. That's really hard to find unity in that when uh, when you when you when you shift the message from Trump is evil to anybody who ever supported Trump is evil. Okay, so, and we always knew this would happen. Like, this isn't surprising at all to conservatives because we've been playing this game for a while. But it's uh, it's, a, it's a very divisive way to go about things. And it's hard for conservatives to understand uh, why that's still happening when, let's see, you won the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and you're still trying to purge us? I mean, what is going on here? You know, w- why, why not celebrate a little? Why don't, why don't you guys just celebrate and be happy instead of continuing to, to look for enemies? Um, it's uh it's, it's the wrong way to go about it. You know, I remember in two thousand and
2: four when uh, Bush beat Gore. Uh, excuse me, Bush beat um, Kerry, and that was a pretty heated election. If you you know remember back that far, and it was there was a uh, John Stewart from the Daily Show. The day after they won, he went back and he did his show, and he was so genuine in his disbelief that Bush had. One, mm-hmm. and he said, "Maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Maybe I'm there's something I'm missing." And I look. I think anybody. I hope anybody that goes through an election cycle. This was a long one. This was multi-yeared. This is the longest one in history, from what I, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, you learn something uh, about people through these election cycles, and you know, I'm I'm wondering, what am I missing? Like, why does it seem? You know, because I want to, I want to embrace. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, like we are an, as apolitical as an oil and gas show can be. We want reasonable people to do reasonable things. Um, I, I wonder what I'm missing when the attacks on oil and gas, though, are so consistent and one sided. Like, what, are, what am I missing, and what are they missing? Why aren't the, why aren't both sides seeing that the the U.S. energy business is necessary for everything that we're trying to do? Right. I mean, do you think that the other side is trying to look at all into the oil and gas world as a um, as a partner for climate change? Because I believe it is. I mean, or um, carbon capture and, and these these things that everybody knows we need. I don't think you find anybody on the oil and gas side arguing against those things. Do you think that the, the maybe a left versus right sees that they maybe have more willing partner than they ever have?
0: Maybe, it kind of depends on who you talk to. Unfortunately, just the overall thrust of left-wing politics is, 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 is to destroy the industry wholesale, just destroy it. And, because it's kind of like asking, you know, it's kind of like asking somebody who, in ancient Rome, believes in, in a polytheistic religion, why can't they just believe in one God? Like, why can't you just believe in one God? And they're like, because there isn't one God, there's many gods. Well, why don't you understand that? And this is, this is sort of the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's very religious. Um, modern environmentalism is very religious. It's very dogmatic. You just, these things are just true. Solar and wind is the future. That's just true. There is no other, there is no other possibility. Um, and it doesn't really matter what facts you show them. Um, it doesn't matter that you that you show them uh, the hypocrisy of, of of what they themselves do and what they need to, to fulfill their daily lives, whether it's wearing synthetic materials or driving their car or taking an airplane, they just have answers for all that. They're like, fine. I mean, that's why we all need to just move past this. And you're like, okay, but you know, so they just kind of talk in circles. Um, And they just, they just don't care about your reasoning and your facts. They just, they just don't care. So we're at a real stalemate in the politics of this. Now, again, like some do, some give you sort of lip service and say, okay, well, like we can work on, um, you know, compromise. And, you know, compromise in this space, I think looks like like nuclear but legislation. It looks like carbon capture technology. Um, I would like to think it looks like more exports of natural gas, um, just at least, you know, but educating them on the benefits of fracking and natural gas it, They don't want to be educated. This isn't, it's not hard to find these facts. So, you know, it's, it's everything, everything is downstream of culture and there's just a cultural, this is why I kind of bring real, you know, it's almost religious like, and you could call it cultural as well. There's just a a, a cultural um, aversion to anything that's fossil fuels. And like once that's just stuck in their heads, they can't see anything else. Uh, And it's been beaten into them and into our youth over and over and over again, ever since the movie Ferngully, you know, where it's like, you just see this, like the the beautiful rainforest just destroyed by industry and people do not have an understanding of why they have stuff and and what's necessary, how it's necessary to make that stuff that they like so much. Um, they just believe that they can have the stuff without anything that made the stuff and then they can also feel good about their their um, environmental stances
3: yeah
2: that is a pretty staunch answer
3: i think the th- you have to step back too and look at some of the data i mean clearly energy is in transition we know that i mean we're, we're a big part of the community down here and you i would encourage anyone uh, who's anti-energy to just look at some of the annual reports and sustainability reports that the energy is putting out in terms of the efforts to reduce greenhouse gases to become more environmentally friendly in terms of water recycling, et cetera. But, you know, as I sit here, just a common guy, you know, I drive to West Texas a lot, just drove there last week, drove out there two weeks before that. And I mean, as soon as you uh, get past sort of Brady and start heading over towards San Angelo, all you see are these windmills, the wind farms. Frankly, they're pretty ugly and mm-hmm. half the time they're not turning which is frustrating and I'm not going to pretend to be the expert on why they're not always turning maybe there's no wind but I would think that limits the power generation but you when you
0: look at That is what happens yeah it probably <laughs> what happens
3: but when you look at the you know I just looked at the EIA data today it's now from 2019 but you know as a percent of our electric electricity generation you know wind and uh, solar are only like 9%. Geothermal is something that's been talked about and it's, you know, growing at 2% per year and at such a small level, it's only like less than 1% of total power. It's going to take a long, 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 long time if to really transition. So we need to support this industry.
0: Well, and, and you, you said a and, minute and ago. And then the question is no, too, like, well, just to, can it even transition? You know, because like you just said, you, you see these windmills and they're not turning because you do need wind to turn them. Um, you do need sun to shine to make these panels work. And then you also noted that uh, you, you didn't drive past these things just outside a major city outside of San Antonio or Houston. They're way out west because they have to be because they're they have to be far away from stuff, which means you have to build lots of transmission lines. So you have to use a lot of materials and waste a lot of energy to just build the transmission lines to get them to where you actually need the energy. You're losing energy as you build as as you try to transport it across great distances. Um, you 're killing a lot of migratory birds with those windmills it 's not just you know random sparrows it 's it 's the big birds that are that are that are getting killed by this so there 's environmental problems associated with that you 're importing all of these all of these uh windmills from china you 're importing most of your solar from china and so when you really put it all together in the aggregate you 're not doing a whole lot better for the environment because of all the extras that you 're putting onto this. And you're not getting a, a baseload of electrical generation that is reliable. So there's a lot of problems. So it's, it's hard to even see it ever transition, to be perfectly honest. Again, this is why I think nuclear is a much better you know, uh, solution if, you're, if you really care about this issue. Well, and you said something a second ago. You said the, the
2: Texas energy industry which obviously that hits home for where we are right now. But I went and looked at your, um, you're on congratulations on this, by the way, your reelection, congratulations on that. Uh, but also, uh, you just got, uh, put on the, um, energy and commerce committee. That's a phenomenal committee.
0: Yeah. Some say, some say the best. So that was, uh, um, we pushed for that for a long time over the past year because energy and commerce touches all the things that I've I've been most focused on from a policy perspective. It's uh, obviously energy, but which is important for Houston, but also healthcare. Uh, healthcare is one of my primary issues, and that's the premier committee for healthcare. Yeah, I've got the I've got the. I'm sorry. So communications and technology, mm-hmm. consumer protection, energy, environment
2: and climate change, health. And oversight and investigative committees; those are the five, right. the major tenets there.
0: So it's it's just really important for everything that we care about right now. So five G, rural broadband, you know, that's going to be Energy and Commerce Committee. Consumer protection is important too, because I believe that's the actual avenue to take to to prevent tech censorship. Everybody's worried about being kicked off of <laughs> Facebook and Instagram and Twitter right now, uh, for good reason. Well, not everybody; just conservatives are, um, but. Everybody thinks that Section 230 is the big win here. And that's, oh, if we just ban Section 230, it'll stop. No, you, we need to stop telling people that. What that's, is 230? Section 230, uh, some people would claim it sort of created the Internet. I mean, it sort of it allows social media companies to exist in the first place because it allows people to talk to each other on these platforms and says that the the – the creators of those platforms, the Twitters, are not liable for you speaking on their platform, okay? Um, people think that if you get rid of it, then then you can either sue them and ma- it's really complicated. Again, I have podcasts on this that you should listen to because I talk to lawyers and experts on this. But the reality is, is if you just get rid of Section 230, you're going to end up in a situation where either – either like a, a, you know, Twitter or Facebook truly will let it be totally free. But like Parler tried that and it doesn't work. So even Parler, people don't realize that they still manage content quite a bit. You can't just post horrible things. Okay. They, They manage that. And so once, and once you start managing it, well, technically you've, you've crossed the barrier. And so there's, it becomes a very complicated conversation about, okay, well, how how do we narrow that down? How do do we, do we add, do we narrow the scope of 230? And if we so, like, how does that even look? And it turns out a lot of people have really thought about this and there's not really a good answer. And so I used to think 230 was probably the the place to tinker with this problem, but smarter people than me who who stare at this a lot longer um, pointed me in a better direction, which is consumer protection law. Because really what the problem is is that you have no transparency. You don't know what the rules are. They don't really clearly state them and they seem to apply those rules um, in a non-universal way. Uh, that's our real problem. Like if you tell me I can't say this word, fine, I, I won't say the word. I mean, it is their platform. Because even if you got rid of 230, they could probably still defend what they're doing just based off of First Amendment protection rights. It is their platform. Um, but we do make a. I do make an argument that that we have a duty as a Congress to protect the First Amendment, not just not just not violate it. So it's a, it's a tricky business, but I think consumer protection law is the way to go. Like make them say, look, you have to apply these more universally. You have to make it more clear. You have to make it very transparent. And, you know, I think that should prevent a lot of the heartache that we're seeing. So that's what they would that's, – that's, that's something that would happen on Energy and Commerce. And, of course, there's the Energy Committee. There's an the Environmental Committee. Um, you know, which are both important for the oil and gas industry, and then there's the healthcare committee. Subcommittees are all subcommittees, correct?
2: It, it's a big committee, and when I went through and looked at it, there's actually there's only 17 states not represented on the committee, mm-hmm. and so it's. And I'm kind of tailing onto a point I made a minute ago that you said the, the Texas energy industry. I think the part that that we would like just stress to everyone is this is America's energy, and it's not just the tech. And I'm, I'm not trying to hold you that one statement, but the the fact is is you have everybody from Oregon to New Hampshire to Utah, Alabama on this committee with you. So, you know, I'm I'm wondering how informed the a person from I mean just Delaware is going well other than maybe tax of how informed they're going to be on the American energy industry. Um, and how do you see yourself getting involved in that committee? What is that what does the committee look like to you? Because you passed
0: a couple of bills last year. Fantastic, by the way. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, not easy to do, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Not in a minority. <laughs> it's pretty difficult. Yeah. We'll see how this time goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, best of luck. Yeah. But
2: uh, I mean, what, what the committee's diversity, is that a, is that a pro or, and so I say the committee, the entire group, is that a pro or a con of how big it is for to
0: get something done? Well, it's sort of reflective of how difficult it is to get anything done in Congress. You know, people think, oh, why doesn't Congress just get stuff done? And I'm like, well, Why don't you go to a dinner party with some like-minded people and try to solve a complex problem? You see how easy it is. Now make 435 people go to a dinner party and try to solve a complex problem. And they're all from different places with different ideologies with different constituencies and everything they say is on the record and taken out of context. You tell me how easy it is to solve problems. It's, It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be difficult um so it'll be just as difficult in committee as it is in is in the whole of congress and remember the entire point of this sort of representative body is is to have those diverse opinions converge on on problems and um and and have that debate you know and it's it's my job to help that representative from Delaware who just doesn't care about Texas jobs they don't they might pretend they do they're lying they don't um they're going to be banging their fists about that there's there's not enough environmental regulations in the world for them right because that's just they're just on an ideological track this isn't about the facts i wish it was but until and you know and that's a deeper problem to solve like how do you how do you solve that problem how do you that's that's a longer conversation. I'm sorry.
3: I'm, I'm go ahead, John. I'm I just I just wonder. I mean, I'm going to oversimplify this because I'm not that smart. But like, at what point do you just go grab that guy from or lady from uh, Delaware and say, "Let's go grab a beer and just sit down and talk this through"? Does that happen anymore? Great question.
0: See, they might totally get your point. The behind closed doors, they're like, "Yeah, no, I know." They just don't care publicly because it, it's yeah, yeah. because it, it's not about. It's not. I wish it was as simple as like they just don't know but it's not right. You could help them understand it. They do not care because they get elected off of a primary. Their primary is you're always your first election. And so again, this is kind of a deeper conversation. It's like, why is it the way it is? Like, why isn't it just as like, Oh, let, let the facts, let the facts compete against each other and, and, and people debate. And then you come up with the best solution. I wish that were sometimes that kind of happens, but in such deeply entrenched, um, Uh, issues such as energy and the environment, it's, it's, again, it's, it's more religion is a better analogy. This is why I started off with that in in, in this podcast. And so they could totally see your point behind closed doors, but in public, they're like, yeah, but I mean, I got to get elected in my primary. And in my primary, there is no number of, of environmental regulations that would satisfy them. So I just keep asking for more. That's, That's all they really care about. And so so so, whose fault is that? Is that the representative's fault, or is that the people's fault? Well, I think it it's argues a bit that. Above.
3: Well, it, it argues that you need to educate the people
0: about what's going on. It, that's true. That's but why it's easy that's a, to say that the right. politics right. is downstream right. of the culture. So yeah. it, it always goes back to the cultural argument that I, I went to earlier, because if you go talk to that person's constituents, and, and let's not pick on Delaware; it could yeah. be any state. <laughs> but like, like,
2: there's, there's many others to yeah, choose from. Yeah, there's many
0: others, but. I guarantee you those those people are going to say you know a certain set of talking points that they're used to saying which is like we don't protect the environment enough um I want more clean air regulations and they don't even know what they're saying right they're just they just want more because they're just on this track and it takes a lot to persuade somebody to get off that track you know i mean go hang out and because i mean i went to school at harvard like i know what it's like to be in super liberal bubbles And it's very difficult to reverse. There is no, you know, it would be a great question to ask them, like, at what point do we have enough regulations? Like, what's your limiting principle to a regulation? Thing is, limiting principles are not an issue on the left. Limiting principles are something conservatives talk about constantly. Okay, like what, and limiting principles mean something like, can we really spend this much? Can the government really do this much? Do we look at cost benefits when we implement a regulation? The left does not care about this. This is not the – these are not the things that they talk about when they talk about policy making. It's a really important difference between the left and the right. And so there is really no limiting principle, which means there's really never enough regulations. That's true. I mean I could, I could prove this over and over again. Um, and so I I know that's not a satisfying answer because it kind of makes the situation feel hopeless. But I guess what I'm getting at is it takes lots and lots. You've got to fight in the culture, you know. If I had some suggestion, it's like you've you've got to have a Netflix comedy on the oil and gas industry. Absolutely, like that's that's something you've got to do. For instance, if you really want to teach people about it, you, you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry, to, I'm, but you've this is this is the whole reason this
2: podcast was invented, right? I mean, we wanted to we had no mouthpiece for the oil and gas business. And you, when we started doing this, we realized that, you know, I can give you a lot of facts and you're gonna listen to a minute and a half of them and you're gonna change the channel, that's what happens. So we said, this has to be an entertaining show that also talks about oil and gas. So obviously we're very entertaining and uh, we keep people as long as we possibly can. But as I'm listening to you talk, it's and you know, John mentions talking about the educating the the, the pub, the population, really, it's a matter of talking to them and getting them to listen and invite. And honestly, that's why I started my portion of this conversation with, do you think people realize that the oil and gas business is more open to talking to them than they ever have been? And I really do mean, I believe that they are. There are, there's a huge push in uh, energy and transition. That's also another show that another podcast that exists out there. And it's, it's not just a, uh, it's a, you know, led by one of the strongest women in our business, Leslie Byer. She's fantastic. Uh, president of PISA, Petroleum Equipment Services. There are lots of things happening in the transition. And that's from the transition of the people involved in it, the energies that are created by it, um, and the, you know, the environment, if David was here, David would tell you straight up that, you know, oil and gas guys are some of the most outdoor people that that there are. So yeah. we, of course we care about the air and the water and the, the properties and et cetera. So I just feel like there's a an opening for a conversation with the oil and gas business that hasn't been there before and, and tools like this, are ways for that conversation to take place so you're going to go up there and you're going to talk to these people and you're going to have your hands full with this and other section 230s of the world mm-hmm. so um you know we'll we'll be there for them and for you and if we can talk about that let us know because i do you know we can't be we're not that funny we're as funny as we can be
3: but you know we laugh at our own jokes oh
2: uh, extensively yeah. so almost exclusively <laughs> so um, I, I'm, I'm going to move a little bit into some of the things that you've that you have talked about. Um, you know, one of the things that has talked about is a carbon, carbon utilization hub here in Houston. And I think many people in the oil and gas business would tell you that there's a lot of experience here. This was this is a, we, we want to be part of the solution. Is that an idea that you've had in your mind?
1: A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're right back to the show. Prang and Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit Prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust a leading provider of U.S. oilfield research known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oilfield professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing Answer this question, what makes your company different? you have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash O360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show.
0: Yeah, I have legislation on that. Um, the new energy frontier is is sort of the umbrella term that I use for what is really our response to the Green New Deal. And so a new energy frontier looks a lot like, look, what are we for? We're for carbon utilization hubs. We're for carbon capture technology and development. Uh, We're for solar and wind, but I don't think that it deserves the subsidies that it gets. Um, We're pro-nuclear, okay? If we're we're gonna invest taxpayer money in something the way we've been doing in solar and wind, it should be towards nuclear. It should not be towards solar and wind. That's, That's my general opinion on it. Um, you know, you need to help nuclear plants, one, survive the ones that we already have, and then uh, create an environment, of, of both a a regulatory environment and a financial environment that they can actually survive. If, if, and this is, this is why I'm like, I'm so skeptical of the left's goals on environmentalism, because if, if you really believed in that, that carbon emissions were our greatest enemy, then you would be doing everything you could to, to get nuclear off the ground. And so the fact that the Green New Deal is like, against nuclear, it tells me that their intentions are not pure. Um, you know, it means, it, Green New, uh, New Energy Frontier means exporting more natural gas. Like if, if you actually care, about what the china about reducing global emissions, then you should be then you should be cutting deals with China to buy more and more of our natural gas. what's the Trump administration did do um but we should double down on that and and make sure that those things are actually being enforced and uh, and uh, adhered to so th- These are solutions that would actually work as far as reducing ca- carbon emissions, and they don't uh destroy our energy industry either, so it seems like a lot of win win uh, there And it's conservation efforts, too. We can add that to the mix, you know, because th- we're talking about things that conservatives are for. And, um, you know, conservation has long been a, a, a conservative, um, I think, tenet and pillar. So um, we're able to pass um, out of the House uh, Leading Act, which, uh, which I kind of put under the umbrella of, of the uh, new energy frontier. The Leading Act is uh, carbon capture grant money. Um, to, to fund things like we see here in Houston, NetPower, for instance, you know, would fund projects like that and uh, figure out how to scale that out. Um, you know, these these are the things that make sense. Again, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too here. So that's the sort of solutions we should be looking for.
3: When you look at those ideas, do you find, you know, Green New Deal versus what you're looking at? Where do you say that the Democrats from states like Texas, Oklahoma, where do they fall on that spectrum what they are willing to support
0: sure it's a mix i mean i think i think nuclear legislation um should find a lot of bipartisan support the question is 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 the democrat leadership really going to prioritize some of these things and what they'll also do is they might add it to a large transportation bill or infrastructure bill but then add so many other poison pills in it and things i can't support that we can't even vote for our own legislation that's that's mixed in this is part of the problem with what uh like what tends to happen in congress with these uh they just pile on a bunch of bills all at once and make you vote on that there's a bunch of reasons that happens um but uh, the unfortunate reality is look the democrats weren't negotiating with us this last term uh when and that's when we have the senate and the presidency they have much less incentive to negotiate with us now um, because they've barely got the senate and the presidency so it's um, it's, it's not a great two years ahead. <laughs> Just be honest with you. Um, but 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 again, these these bills, carbon capture, nuclear issues, th- these are bipartisan for the most part. Not not if you're a green new dealer, but uh, but for other Democrats, it's fairly bipartisan.
3: As we get past the inauguration, probably going to see some executive orders that come out of the White House. Do you see any of that? What what do you see as a potential
0: risk to the U.S. energy complex? a lot. Um, you've already seen the Keystone Pipeline yeah. get uh, potentially, I mean, it hasn't started yet, but sounds like he's going to cancel that on day one. And um, so anything that he has the power to do, they will do. Um, what well, I'm more worried about the big legislation they might push forth. I think they'll, they'll come after, um, they're basically going to try and regulate the fossil fuel industry out of business. Kind of like they did under the Bob administration, but I think they're going to take it a, a, a lot further. So that might be through banking regulations, making it harder to get insurance or investments. Um, it might be through building codes, uh, saying like, like you know, building codes will change. So you can't hook up natural gas. It might be through cafe standards, uh, just you know, in, imposing more and more electric cars. So what people don't realize is. Is because you ask an average person this, especially outside of Texas, but even here in Houston, they're like, well, what do you think about that? And they're like, yeah, that seems great. Why wouldn't I want, you know, cleaner stuff all the time? It's like, well, because there's costs to these things. The Democrats are so good at making you believe that you can have this sort of utopian reality. You can just have clean stuff and there's no costs, right? You can just have healthcare. There's no cost to it. You can just have this stuff. If only those mean Republicans will let you have it but this isn't true these are not adult conversations we're having it's very frustrating and american people frankly have to stop falling for it stop believing that there are no costs to these wonderful things the democrats are selling you to get your vote they're bribing you and it is just not true that you can have something without any effects without any without any second third order effects Right. If you say that all buildings now have to be hooked up to wind and solar grids, well, this is what happens. Okay, Let's say it's a commercial building. Your electricity prices just skyrocketed, Okay, which means there's going to be less, people that, less companies that can even afford to be in that building. And if they can't afford it, they're going to hire less people. So you have less jobs. You have jobs that don't pay as much. You have super sky-high prices in rent and electricity and all of these things. And for what? What did you get out of it? Nothing. That, that's the other dirty little secret. Nothing. I mean, talk to some people who really study climate change science. Like, the solutions they're talking about offer you nothing. Like, I, I can't emphasize that enough. The temperature isn't going down because of this. Non, this these extremely high-cost solutions. It's just not. And the weather isn't changing. I mean, it's, that's the infuriating part about it is like, we haven't ever taken a step back and thought, okay, what can we really do to solve climate change? Is it even solvable? And, and what would this cost us if we, if we took these extreme measures? That's the real discussion. It, it, you know, now the problem conservatives have had over the years is just they the, the, the first reaction is just, I'll deny it's all happening. Deny it, deny it, deny it. That's not helpful. And that's lost us a lot of ground in in having the real discussion about solutions, because if I use the IPCC data, the UN data that we apparently all agree on, it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly that that you're not going to solve these problems by by doing all of these high cost solutions here in the United States. Now, you might you might. I wouldn't say solve it, but you might mitigate the effects or at least dampen the effects of climate change by doing some of the things I mentioned earlier, um, especially getting the world hooked on natural gas as opposed to hooked on Chinese coal. So these are solutions that actually have massive impacts um, and also uh, are pretty good for our economy. So it's, it's kind of mind blowing that we wouldn't just center all of our energy on that. But again, you're talking to people who have a religious affinity for these environmental regulations and for solar and wind. You know, I
2: don't know if the story is proprietary, John, that that you were talking to an investor one time about a certain company and they said, well, hang on a minute.
3: Yeah, so I'll give this story. This is uh, going back about a year and a half ago, uh, early 2019. So my prior job, we would go see investors, you know, go to New York, Boston, go to Europe once a year marketing and you know, try to get them to, you know, use our, our, our firm. And I remember going over to uh, Europe I uh, started in Zurich and then went to Norway then into London. And uh, and, and this is when ESG was just starting to get, become more widely known. I had kind of heard about it, but it wasn't until it was beaten on me. And here's the example. So I, I was talking to this investor in Zurich and, you know, I give him the background. In the beginning, there were dinosaurs, you know, oil and gas, talk a little bit about the market. And at the end, he, he says to me, he says, well, you know, what's your favorite stock idea? And I gave him uh, some small cap pressure pumping name. He types it into his computer. He goes, oh, I can't own it. I said, well, you know, why not? He goes, well, it doesn't pass our ESG criteria. And so I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. So over the course of the week, I start talking to lots of different investors. By the end of the week, I was in London, I was talking to a portfolio manager, and uh, and he said to me, he goes, yeah, we're talking about, ESG, you know, the ESG stuff, he said I had to sell all of the stocks uh, that were exposed to sand the sand industry because they're tied to hydraulic fracturing because of ESG. And I said, okay. They said, but our biggest holdings right now are in these mining companies that mine lithium and cobalt. I didn't know anything about that. So I just listened. I said, okay. And he goes, no, you didn't, you didn't hear me. I said, what do you mean? He goes, don't you realize that those are some of the dirtiest mines in the world where there's regularly violating child labor law practices? His words, not mine. I don't know because I've never been to any he
0: is, he is correct, okay. yes. <laughs> so assuming
3: he's correct, because I'm allowed to own those because that product is using these car batteries. Yeah, And, I, and he's like, and he and he's looked at him, he's like, John, there's just a total hypocrisy here because, you know, and so, yeah, but that resonated with me. Uh, and then it also resonated with me as I talked to another portfolio manager how, you know, you've got companies that rank other, like they consulting firms that will rank a company on their ESG scorecard. And investors use that to decide whether or not it passes. Can they own the stock? And uh, sorry, this is long-winded, but just but the the portfolio manager asked him the question. I said, "Well, how does a company who's got a low rating, but is actually genuinely trying to improve their business model, get you to pay attention?" He goes, "Easy. He goes they can come in and talk to me, and if and if I see what they're doing, and if I believe what they're doing, and I can justify that, I'll put it in my portfolio because once they actually execute." and they get a higher rating, funds flows are going to come in, and the stock should go higher. And and that's what gave me some, you know, as I talked to companies today, I mean, go look at any investor slide deck, any energy company. And it is just frankly amazing what these companies are doing to reinvest in their community, to try to clean up the environment. And it's totally lost on so many, you know, to those that are not tied to the energy community. They just assume that, you know, every energy company is evil. And they're not.
0: Well, I was reading about this, uh, I didn't realize that, all the big oil companies had uh, invested in this um, cleanup fund in Asia, to especially like the Ganges River. You know, everybody's always concerned about their plastic straws and plastic in the ocean, and you should be concerned about that. But the thing is, is it's not the United States dumping plastic in the ocean. Um, it's it's like ten rivers out of Asia, and it's a very hard problem because, well, it's also very easy. Just you know, if people just stop throwing trash into their ditches and drains and rivers, I mean. But they do and um, it's very difficult and, and unfortunately this was not a great story because as much money as these companies invested into this problem, it's extremely difficult to clean up massive amounts of tons and tons and tons of, of plastic out of rivers. That, that's not an easy thing to do. Really you just have to stop throwing plastic into the rivers which is actually quite easy to do. Um, But, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's something that the state, you know, again, if we're going to focus energy on something, that's a pretty good thing to focus energy on, you know, but that comes out of foreign operations spending. And I don't know if you guys remember uh, the last week in December and how mad everybody got because there was some foreign aid in a massive spending bill. Remember all that? Remember that drama? Uh, the good Tr- old days, yeah. President, when we were Trump- just mad at right. Pakistan dollars, and President Trump's like, "I can't believe there's four and eight here." And I was like, uh, "Excuse me, you're you requested that because it's like you do every year, you know." It's get like <laughs> that was a very frustrating moment because it just goes to show how we are not starting off of a base of knowledge before we before we fire off some very intense opinions in this country. And, um, you know, you need leaders who are willing to be honest about what the truth is. And that was unfortunately a, a major dishonest moment. But anyway, the point is, is if you're going to solve something like plastic in the rivers, that's where you would do it. You know, maybe do it through State Department programs. I mean, really, really try. And as opposed to banning plastic straws, it's, it's not it's not the state of California throwing plastic straws in the ocean it's just not so glad everybody over there is virtue signaling about their plastic bags and straws but their stuff is going into the trash and that's that's not a big deal Uh, it is a big deal if it gets in the ocean but we're not the ones doing it
2: i mean i don't want to sound like a snob but the paper straws are just terrible yeah can't deal with them no just can't deal with them uh, one of the facts here and this is why it matters when you talk about that people understand, uh, global energy demand is expected to increase by 25 to 30% in the next 20 years. Um, how do we, you know, and I know the answer is, and we're not looking for a total answer, but how do we meet the demand with American clean, cheap energy, not fuel produced by Russia and Venezuela? Um, the the amount of leverage that we're willing to let go to other countries, is that something that worries you? Do you think about that often? I mean, yeah. you've already mentioned uh, exports, but what does that look like from a bigger picture standpoint that we're not – that we're just maybe can't see the forest through the trees right now when we talk about this stuff? What happens next?
0: Well, I mean, like the solution to that problem is to just not – is to just leave you guys alone. <laughs> like that's, that's the solution. From, from my standpoint as, as somebody in government, I have a very easy solution to this. I just leave you alone. Right? And we will continue to, if I leave you alone, as an energy sector, you'll continue to dominate. You'll continue to frankly get cleaner, I think, because people don't realize this, there's an incentive for the industry to be cleaner and always look for technology that makes you cleaner and to invest in the communities like we talked about, to invest in, in cleanups in rivers, in Asia. I mean, there's there's a huge, I, I see Oxy doing amazing things with carbon capture and, and like figuring out how algae, like I guess, like sucks up carbon. I mean, it's good, it's really cool stuff. Um, so leaving you alone is clearly the best solution. The hard part is not finding the best solution here. Again, the hard part is, is what we've sort of collectively been banging our heads against the wall throughout this podcast is how do you persuade the other side that this is also the best solution when they fundamentally disagree? And, um, and they don't, they don't, they don't, and, and I wish this, I wish it was as easy as just, as just telling them the facts, but, And maybe it is. I don't know. You know, maybe we'll try to be more optimistic because the truth is, is like nobody's been making these arguments really well for years and years and years. And so it's going to take time for the good arguments to soak, to, 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 to soak in to people's minds a little bit. And that's the oil industry's fault for not making good arguments. And that's right-wing politician's fault for not making good arguments and instead saying there's no such thing as climate change shut up like that's not a good argument. it's not a persuasive argument even even if even if it were true it's just not a persuasive argument so you got to meet people where they're at and work with them a little bit and so maybe maybe after a few years of good argumentation and and so like just using the data that you just presented just what i say all the time um my point is is that if you destroy the text if you destroy US energy sector you're going to increase global emissions for the exact reason you just stated because if 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 we're going to see an increase in global energy demand by 25% well somebody's got to provide it and it's never going to be solar and wind for the other scientific reasons and engineering reasons that we've already talked about it's not a base load capacity you can't make stuff with it and in, again, I mean, a it's lot certainly not going to be in a poor country. No, no, no. It's absurd to think that you're just going to like help Africa with like you know, a, a solar farm. There's a
2: guy. I'm trying to see if we have his book in here. We've we we bring him up a lot, and I'm I got to get this guy on. Alex Epstein. You sh- mm-hmm. early heard this name. The moral case for fossil fuels. You, right. If you've never interviewed him or talked to him, he is a yeah. quite a guy. He's very smart. Um, worked at
3: Duke. He's uh, just really an intelligent guy. Earlier, you talked about the subsidies that solar and uh, you know, wind companies receive. Is there I, this might be too far-fetched of an idea? But w- why can't uh, we try to work on getting subsidies for, say, the oil service sector that can then use that to invest in cleaner engine technology and so forth? Because right now, most of them, many of them, are broke because of the downturn, and so. The technology is there where you could dramatically cut back diesel consumption, you know, you, the, the reduce yeah. NOx, greenhouse gases, et cetera. It's just, it's a, there's a cost.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's an idea that we, there's legislation for that. To, basically, you're talking about technology neutral credits. So, as opposed to a, a tax credit for specifically solar and wind, you're talking about technology neutral credits if it, if it, um... If it does exactly what you said, if it contributes to lower carbon emissions, again, Maybe it's just Democrats okay. don't agree with it. Okay,
3: so that's we, need, the we need to do a Texas, <laughs> Texas barbecue where we bring some of this equipment up to DC so they can yeah, see we it.
0: Should,
2: you ought to set that up.
3: John yeah. is your barbecue
2: extraordinaire here.
0: Okay, yeah, Bar- barbecue is lacking in DC, so we could bring that up. Breakfast would be a good, burritos too. I've heard not yeah. a good breakfast burrito. But DC okay. doesn't have good food. <laughs> just period. I mean, it's not hell. you can find it, but Houston's a pretty. Wow, oh, Houston's well, got one of the top in the country. We get, so. Exactly, the best. There's every food you can think of. You've got yeah. the
2: melting pot of, I mean, barbecue and Mexican food. and It's just and we allow our restaurants to be
0: open, unlike DC. As was you know, I feel so bad for the restaurants. And they were open for a while. They were kind of getting back into the flow, and then DC mayor cut them off again.
2: See, I, I doesn't even comprehend down here. They're just done. They can't open. Yeah,
0: any in, restaurant in DC. Up. Yeah. That I, is, it was a couple of weeks ago. They, they had to shut down again, ugh. like indoor dining. So that, I guess they can eat outdoors in the cold, but I'm not even sure about that. I'd have to really check, but all over that. I mean, geez, we should, we should count our blessings here and geez, you know, and you go to other countries, it's even worse. The lockdowns. I don't want to make this a lockdown podcast, but no, you know, no, a, no, no, it's not. It's just,
2: <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. We had a couple of, uh, special guests behind the the curtain back there and, One's from Connecticut, one's from California, and they're both, uh, you know, Texans by certainly by uh, spirit, anyway. So it's <laughs> kind of, there's a lot of people. I mean, I live in the woodlands, Texas. There's a lot of California people rolling into, you know, mm-hmm. my neck of the woods up in Dallas, where I've got a lot of friends. And yeah. they seem to be bringing really positive ideas. I mean, I'm sure yeah. they've got their California spin on certain things, but that's fine too. Yeah. Um, but I think there's, you know, I think you and a lot of politicians, actually, before we go, your your social media. I compliment you on it. You know, I'm probably getting to the point where I'm too old for social media, but I love it. You do a good job on social media. How, what kind of reception do you get when you try to do your very rational, um, explanations of certain
0: things? Do you get good feedback? Yeah. I mean, it's good. It it depends on the audience, of course. So, I mean, Look, uh, lately, nothing is positive on social media, so this is not a good time to be on social media. Um, people are mad because I because I pointed out that I think uh, I think Trump's behavior and many other politicians' behavior led to what happened on January sixth. I still don't think it's impeachable. I didn't vote for impeachment, but it's that's not enough for people. You're not allowed to say anything bad about him, right. which is just for the record is is insane. Uh, but you know, I said what I said, and I stand by it. Um, cause I think mm-hmm. it was utterly reasonable. <laughs> you know, it's, I just want to, I just want to, I just want us to be able to talk about the truth. Right. Um, so now's not a good time on social media, but, uh, for the most part, you know, a reasonable explanation, give people a few layers, not too many layers. Yep. Okay. A podcast is good for a lot of layers, but for like social media, you need to distill it in a couple minutes. But... It's not that hard if you know what you're talking about, and you know how to present it, so we put a lot of effort into that uh, We've done a lot with the paris climate agreement we've We've done it a lot with with all the subjects we just talked about um, and it's very helpful and it's especially helpful to those people who who don't consume politics all the time and all of these intricate policy issues you've got to give them something that they can they feel like they can trust that isn't just talking points that's just factual information. And it's it's a really important way to bring people to your side. And uh, you know, in my election, we did really, really well with with independents and, and moderates because I know how to speak to them. It's you can't just throw red meat in their face; yeah. it's just not going to work. Top five question: What political party is Dan Crenshaw? I think that's I actually think it's a compliment. Yeah, yeah, it can be. Although if if you, if you told that to my base, they'd be like, "That's why we knew you were a rhino." And It's like, gee, okay, guys. No, listen. Stop? Reasonable people <laughs> like
2: do reasonable things. Your last time you were here we, you've got look at your your book has made the uh, the top shelf there. Right. How, how's your book right. done? It's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. It's going well. One day, maybe do an actual book tour. Well, but, I encourage uh, anybody who hasn't purchased. It's called Fortitude, and it's a great book. And you really get a sense of how you come to the thought process that you've just broken down. Really. I, you know, every time I see you on TV or hear you on a podcast or whatever, you, you're very rational in your explanation of things. And I, you know, I, I like rational, the country needs rational. We need a calm moment, a calm thought process for everybody. So if anything, I hope that people are looking how to break down a
3: difficult subject rationally. Yeah. So
0: I appreciate that.
3: I got to go back to work questions here. All right. If that's okay. Yeah. If you were running the energy committee, just hypothetically, what would be your first priority?
0: Well, my new energy frontier and all those priorities right. I kind of laid out under that, it, you know, that's assuming that we're in the majority. And, you know, there's assuming a lot of things that when you say I'm, I'm in charge of the committee.
3: Yeah, because you laid out how it's so broad as committee. So I was just, yeah. you know, yeah. you mentioned healthcare and all healthcare. This. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got a
0: lot of health care. That's a whole other podcast. But uh, health care, especially direct primary care, I think I think getting people primary care should be the goal not just like blanket insurance um you know you've got to just you've got to have reasonable um uh, i think step by step legislation incrementalism i think should be the the overarching goal for healthcare policy, you know, Republicans failed miserably with the repeal and the replace rhetoric. Cause it sounds scary. Cause people are like, well, wait, 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 I didn't like what Obama did, but you want to repeal it now and, and replace it with what this is my healthcare. This is really important to people. So you got to do it more slowly. Uh, you've got to get us towards more towards that free market system. Uh, with some government help for people who can't afford it because we do agree with the left that healthcare is something people need kind of like food but it should be dealt with the way we deal with food put the put the money in the person's pocket and then let them go buy the food healthcare should be similar so so Premium subsidies should be how we look at this, kind of like Medicare Advantage. Medicare Advantage is a decent model to look to if we're looking at how to how to get people health care they need from an insurance standpoint. But direct primary care should be um, how we look at the model for, for primary care. I, I realize nobody knows what I'm talking about when I say that, but in, but we don't have a whole another hour to, to go into this. Look Again, look to my podcast. I've done episodes on direct primary care. Well, typically we
2: would ask um, advice that you would give yourself uh, but you've already done the show,
0: so I'm gonna kind of give you a softball question here to to take us out. I'm not Tell, good at softball questions. I'm really good at hard questions. But if you if you if people softball me, I'm usually like stuck. But okay, we'll see. Well, this is
2: <laughs> this is a softball question that you can take anywhere you want. So it is it's a little scary it's a little scary. There's First Amendment things going on. There's energy. I mean, I I hadn't even thought of the building permits. That's a scary deal. Or the, you know, Amazon Web Services taking Exxon, you know, things, just things that we could, any bad thing that you could think of in your head is a possibility. Maybe. So softball question. Tell us we're going to be all right. Tell us this country's, you've studied it more extensively than we have. The country's just in a tough place right now. It's really trying to figure out itself out with social media when everyone can yell at everyone didn't used to be that way you, you couldn't always yell at somebody delaware i'm going to pick on them one more time you know but now i could send a, a, a tweet to someone directly in, in delaware right now and but i mean what we're going to be all right i, I i'm not saying it so sheepishly as i no. might have asked it there but tell us what's going to go
0: on here <laughs> well you're always going to be all right to an extent, but <laughs> I, mean, just, just, I think that's a general life rule. Um, things could always be worse. You still live in the best time to be alive in human history. And so a little perspective is always in order for no matter what is going on in your life. Um, and th- that's the important thing to remember that you still control your destiny uh, more so than anybody else does. It doesn't mean they can't screw over your company that you work for. And I do worry about that. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but in the end, you still control your own destiny and you, you've got to think in those terms because uh, otherwise you're just going to be mad and helpless and, and that's, that, that doesn't help you or your family. John, oh, real quick, do you have any uh,
2: websites that you'd like to promote right now? Is there anything, any book or website people need to go
0: to? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know where to find me. You can find me across whatever social media platform you're on. You can find me there. Follow okay. me there. Um, you know, sign up for our newsletter. We, we send out really good ones. Um, on my campaign side, it's CrenshawForCongress.com. Uh, you can go to my official website. What is it? Crenshaw.house.com of maybe is what it is lots of dots but uh you know you can you sign up for our newsletters there you really that that's a great way to just get all of my social media okay. every week uh because we just kind of put it into one weekly newsletter so there's a lot of ways to keep up okay john how about you like you, you've got a couple things going on what do you want to push as being our special
2: guest host today i'll what's your but i what,
3: don't don't I'd hate, hate to put the congressman on the spot but if I could. Okay. Oh, uh, this is nice. I like this. All right. So we're doing this great conference and we have a panel.
0: Oh, yeah. The pitch. I forgot. This is about the that.
3: pitch. He can delete this too. That's the beauty of editing. But the uh, it's titled Veterans in the Oil Field mm-hmm. and it's CEOs who served in the military. We've got two uh, Marine Corps CEOs and one Navy SEAL. And just it's leadership in the oil field. Okay. And so Josh is actually. One of the moderators. We need someone, you know, better looking and smarter to, to lead the <laughs> to, to to actually ask the the real questions. And so, if you would, if you're in Houston, okay, uh, end of February, I've got an agenda. I'll give it to you. Uh, and then, as Josh said, of course, we like to cook, yes. and uh, we cooked at the barbecue for you and Wesley at uh, the, the barbecue yeah. at uh, the Energy Day, yeah, at, yeah, Lime Insurance facility. Oh yeah, I don't have any, many skills, but cooking is about the only one I've passion. got. That's a, it's a passion. A passion. Yeah. Be standing invite. We'll drive the smoker to DC. He puts something on. We'll come up and we'll cook for you and your your, your colleagues in yeah. DC.
0: Okay. All right. Ooh, that one, Jonathan. Food food that one. That's John. We're keeping that one in, buddy. There'll
3: be no food poisoning. It'll be good.
0: That would be cool. Okay. Hey, maybe so, hey, you know, well, uh, no commitment. I don't know the dates, so, but maybe, that's, maybe, that's maybe, the maybe real we can make We just got to say yes and just yeah. hope. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> I like it. I like what you guys are doing.
2: Well, thank you. Listen, congratulations on your reelection. election uh, You have a task at hand. We appreciate you going up there. It takes a lot of energy to do what you're doing. We appreciate uh, everything that you guys are doing. And and look, the, the 33 different states represented on the uh, Energy and Commerce Committee, we wish all of you luck. We wish Delaware luck. Uh, we wish everybody on there just reasonable and rational thought. Uh, for the sake of the country and um, you have our support and and as do our Democrat friends as well. So if there's anything we can do for them, just let them know that we'll be a, a, a mouthpiece for rational or you know reasonable people talking about reasonable ideas. Uh, that's going to conclude the very first episode of 2021 on the Oilfield 360 podcast. Uh, John, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Did you enjoy yourself?
0: Yeah, I
3: did. It was, it was all right. Yeah.
2: Mr. Crenshaw, Congressman Crenshaw, thank you very much for your time. Good luck to you, sir. Thanks again. My pleasure. Uh, Look us up on our social media channels. Uh, We're on everything from LinkedIn to Instagram, oilfill360.com. If you have any complaints, send those to David at oilfill360.com. If you have anything that sounds great, send that to Josh at oilfill360.com. I delete any negative mail. I don't uh, don't even check it. So uh, that's it. Thank you, Fletch Azul, for your sponsorship in 21. Look forward to everybody being around. Have a good day, everyone.
1: This episode of the Oilfield 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit eivcapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision-makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe thank you to our sponsors locked in global energy and marine locked tomahawk safety tomahawk safety.com and associates prang.com; daniel energy partners danielep.com eiv capital eivcapital.com galtway marketing GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com, World Oil, WorldOil.com, Fletcha Azul Tequila, FletchaAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at OilField360.com. Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Company, member SIPC and FINRA, and Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC-registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler. Sandler & Company, and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission.